Welcome back to Monday Night Live with Heather Wright, speaker, author and trainer. Heather, last time you were talking to us about triggers and anchors and rewards. Um, I'm not sure I got the reward part of it. Can you uh, just run that past me again? Yes, certainly. Everything we do has a reward. We're I don't know if any anybody else got a puppy during lockdown. It was uh, it was a bit of a trend. Yeah, me too. I'm sorry. It's I, I I refused for a while, and then I went. Oh no, I'm giving in. I really do. I want a puppy. I've always wanted one, and I've I've always been all over the place and not been able to. So I got a puppy. If you've got a puppy, you'll know. Or if you've got a dog, you'll know they are purely based on reward. If you do positive psychology with your puppy rather than punishment, it's and and they're, and they're really fast on the brain. So if a dog is jumping up, when it stops jumping up, it gets a reward. It learns not to jump up. It's a lot easier in theory than it is in practice when the little so-and-so is jumping up at you. But it's the same thing with us. When we do something, we get a reward. Now, as we're growing up, that reward can actually not always be a pleasurable reward. It can be moving away from pain. If I lie to my parents that I was playing with a ball in the house and I don't get punished, I learned that the reward for lying is getting away with it. Okay, and it can be as complicated as that. But one of the best explanations I have was I was working with some engineers in a big engineering firm uh, a couple of years ago, pre-lockdown. And they called me in because they wanted me to motivate the engineers because they wanted them to collaborate more. And they'd done this whole piece on collaboration. Uh, and when I went in, I, look, I, I spoke to the engineers and I said, you don't need, you don't need me to do a rah-rah talk, although I love doing them. They're good fun. I'm sure there are many people online here who love doing a good rah-rah talk at a conference, a motivational speech, but they didn't need it. The engineers wanted to collaborate. They didn't need me, me to motivate them. They said, well, what, what, what is it? I said, well, look, you've already explained the what and the why to them. They know what collaboration look like. They know why they have to do it and they absolutely get the benefits. But what they don't understand is how to change from what they're currently doing to what they are doing. So what I did was I went in and I started talking to them about that. Now, when I said to them, tell me what the rewards are for not collaborating, because that's why you're not collaborating, because there are rewards and those rewards are greater than the reward for collaborating. And they all sat there, there were 70 of them on tables doing workshopping, you know, chatting amongst themselves. And when I said, right, now you're going to talk about what the rewards are for not collaborating. There was silence in the room. They just couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And then gradually the conversation started to go. And I'm sure everybody here can start, starts to understand, OK, we get rewarded for not collaborating. At school, collaborating is cheating. <laughs> the teachers don't ask you to collaborate at school. It's cheating. You don't do it. So you stop doing it. But in business, why do we not collaborate? We don't collaborate. And I'm sure if we were doing, if anyone wanted to put stuff in the chat here, we'd find what, what's your thoughts on that? What, do, what is it people get rewarded for, for not collaborating? And I'll graduate, I'll talk it through, but I'm sure people will start typing stuff in the chat. But people get rewarded. So, for instance, one really good example is if I don't collaborate, I don't have to deal with that really awkward so-and-so in the other department who's going to tell me my ideas are pants. I don't have to explain my idea to anybody who might turn around and tell me that it's not a good idea. I don't have to persuade anybody that my idea is a better idea. Also, when I go to my manager, I can do the thing that I used to do at school, which is look what I did, teacher. Look what I did all by myself. I've worked out the solution all by myself. And then when I said, what is it? business?" So we got, I'm good. 
they aren't is another one. If I collaborate, they might get promoted instead of me. Absolutely. There's always that little seed of doubt, isn't it? If you collaborate, who takes the credit? Those are massive psychological rewards. But here's the other one. I said, what do the business do to reward you for not collaborating? And they said, well, of course, we get rewarded for working faster and collaboration takes longer. So there's always, if you, if you had a flip chart and you split it into two and said rewards for collaborating, rewards for not collaborating, you've got a massive long list of psychological rewards for not collaborating and probably one on the collaboration one, which is we'll do it faster. No, well, two, we'll do it faster and we'll do it better. Oh, sorry, no, yeah, we won't I, do it fast. My apologies, we won't do it fast. We'll do it slow, we'll do it better. So there's yeah, one thing on that list. Heather, I think it's got worse, hasn't it, as well, with the I'm all right, Jack culture. Um, I mean, if we talked about investment banking, that's a total culture where I look after myself and I get a big bonus and blow everybody else. But but also in sales where people are rewarded on on the sale and not on the uh, back office. No, it's a fantastic point you make. And uh, very. I, but here's, here's something, Derek. We're, we're very poor at working out our own so uh, uh, giving ourselves psychological rewards. We're quite good at sitting down on a Friday night and going, I deserve a glass of wine and a bar, a bar of chocolate or whatever it might be. We're very, very poor at rewarding ourselves and understanding our own psychology for what rewards us. That's non-physical non based. It's not chocolate and it's not wine. We're actually very, very good at berating ourselves. We're really, really poor at our own psychological rewards. Okay, well now I try and... Um keep the cup of coffee back till I've actually got something to do, got something done. Now that's working at home, working for myself, etc. And also at the end of a long day when I've interviewed someone tough like you that's got four black belts, well then um, I need a beer at the end of that as my, uh, as my reward. But um, let's switch to the black belts for a minute and then we'll come back to the psychology. What sure. on earth made someone like you go and get four black belts in different disciplines? I mean, that sounds bonkers to me. <laughs> well, it shows it shows that I've got a decided lack of imagination in sports you can do, doesn't it, really? It's like, what shall I do now? Oh, let's do another martial art. You could take up archery. Oh, good idea. Uh, so uh, what happened? What happened was my best friend wanted to learn to protect herself. So I went along because she was the one who was always getting into trouble. And I, so the first black belt I got was I just went along. We're talking about the 1980s here. There was, there was much less on telly in those days. And most families only had one telly. So if you wanted to watch it, you had to sit with your parents. So we didn't. We spent our time outside. So this was a good way of getting out of the house. And so we used to go along to the, to the first martial art, which was Shotokan Karate. I don't know if anybody here is a Shotokan Karate person. Hey, Tim, great stuff. Good to see you, Tim fellow Shoto person uh, and that was my first one I studied that for many years and, and still would be studying that my my instructor eventually married a Japanese lady and moved to Japan and I studied in Japan with him which was fantastic then what happened was when my son was born uh, he was about six or seven he very badly coordinated young man he was he's like a, a baby giraffe oh taekwondo yes I have a fifth dan in taekwondo that came up later. So my uh, my son wanted to start the martial arts, but I knew that Shotokan Karate would be, it's very, very disciplined and very, almost, Tim's nodding, very military in its style. So I took him along to a Taekwondo class because that instructor was much more fun. And I knew that my son, my, my son, his brain, he's a, he's a stand-up comedian now. His brain is always working. And his smart comments would not have gone down well in Shotokan Karate. His jokes during the, during the class. 
But at Taekwondo, it was fun. He could be a ninja turtle all he liked and all of that. And when I went there, the instructor said, the martial arts is for women too, Mrs. Mrs. Wright. And I kind of went, yeah, I know, but I've, I've already got a third damn black belt in, in Shotokan Karate. And then I thought to myself, how egotistical is that? You are not prepared to put a white belt on again. And I decided it would be a really good lesson for me to wear a white belt. So I put that white belt on and I swallowed all pride, all the black belt strut that people develop, which I really, if you ever watch black belts walk through the room, they develop this strut, they stick their bums out and it's just strutting, going, hey, I'm wearing a black belt. Uh, and I put a white belt on and it was, it was actually really good for me. And I was able to then learn Taekwondo to help my son as well. Uh, then later on, um, we learned jujitsu, which was a different one for manipulating the joints is a really good. It's actually probably in many ways better for self-defense because you can defend yourself without striking someone and therefore less likely to get anybody turn the tables on you legally. Um, and then I then also learned how to basically hit people with a stick at Shotokan Karate. They decided to include working with a bow, a six foot long staff. And I got a black belt in that one as well. So it's it just kind of, it's the way the world went really. That wasn't intentional, but then there's not the way of it. You know, life just happens and we just join on or join in, I should say. Absolutely. We've got a few questions in the chat box that I think we ought to go to um, Heather. So uh, let me, um, Paul Coleman says, this is an amazing talk. Wow. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, Chantel doesn't understand cricket and I'm British, so there's no point trying to explain that to our overseas friends, is there? We'll uh, give just let's just say it's kind of like baseball, but uh, a bit different. And we invented it before baseball. But I think that will get me into trouble as well with my uh, American friends as well. Paul says, I'm sure every cricketer has been called Teflon at some stage. I think everybody knows what that means. Slippery hands, but that's not very helpful. If the cricket ball's just coming down out of the sunshine and you're trying to hang on to it and you're thinking in your monkey mind, if that's what we call it, uh, Teflon. How do we deal with that, Heather? Oh, it depends. It depends on all of the stuff. So one of the things we've always done is we work with a team rather than just an individual okay. in order to eliminate the toxic talk in the, in the changing rooms and things like that. When we work with golfers, we also work with their caddy. Because one of the challenges can be, interestingly, when we work with golfers, on practice day, golfers often do a lot better because they're not focusing on the bunker or the water. Mm. But actually, the, what happens is they're coming up to the first tee, if you like, and it's the caddy's job to say there's two bunkers on the left, remember, and there's water on the right, which instantly focuses them. Same thing with cricketers, making sure everybody's focusing on the right stuff so that actually colleagues can help each other out instead of using nicknames like teflon they can start patting them on the back and go say things like remember that brilliant catch you did in the last match just remember that one and focusing each other on it you know so it's better to work with a team than an individual absolutely um from nigel heather do injured sports people present challenges with their psychological fears during the re recuperation from their injuries. I've often thought about that when you see a horrific injury and someone has to uh, come back from it. In fact, Aaron Ramsey playing for Arsenal got a huge injury at 19 and he recovered from it. He was playing for Wales yesterday at the age of 30, but that must be a huge issue. Yeah, and we have to take small steps with those people. Cyclists is one of the ones I like to work with with, with those kind of things. I, I'm a big Tour de France uh, fan. 
um, we'll, we'll, we'll not mention drug taking. We we'll just put that to one side for now, if you like. But uh, but I'm a big Tour de France. And if you ever watch the cyclists, they constantly, I mean, it, of, of all the sports people, it seems to be injuries are just a daily occurrence for cyclists coming off. And, and some of them, are, uh, they have them coming down mountains at 80 kilometers per hour. Um, and some of them never get back on the bike after after that, partly because of the psychology. Some do. Some just almost almost bounce straight back. But the idea, of course, has to be small steps. We have to take the fear factor out. But the brain, of course, is programmed to learn from that fear so that you won't keep injuring yourself. And we're kind of almost defying our you know, nature to make somebody get back on that bike or get back you know, into the car. But there has to be a certain resilience that, that happens within the body before we can even make them do that. And we have to change the pictures. We, th we don't think in words, we think in pictures. So it's the video that comes on and we have to get an intervention that comes into place every time we think about it. It's not just the crash or the event that happens. It's all the times you think about it afterwards. And of course, the challenge can also be that our friends or the TV commentators make it even worse because they want to, forgive me for this illustration, they want to pick the scab. They want to say, tell us about that terrible injury you had. Tell us about this. And we've got to, we've got to teach them not to do that. We've got to teach them to move away from thinking about the, uh, the crash and the injury and not allow their friends to put, you know, but our friends do it to us all the time, don't they? If you have a bit of a bump in your car, everybody wants to know the juice. It's much more juicy and gossipy. I wrote my car off a few years ago um, uh, I, I was driving in torrential rain and I made the mistake of putting my foot on the brake and everyone will tell you, you just shouldn't do that. So I went into a big spin, my car smashed up. But when I got out of the car and stood on the side, on the other side of the barrier on the motorway, I refused to look at the car because I knew it would implant a really negative picture in my head. And the drivers who stopped after me wanted to wanted to describe the car to me. They said, oh, look at your car. Look, at your, look what happened. And all of, of course, all of my family wanted me to describe the crash to them. What I've done, by the way, is I've changed it. I find music is useful. I don't know if anyone else uses music. So I've now the memory in my head of spinning around. I've now put to a waltz, a lovely waltz music. Da, 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 da. Uh, I've also put, I also put a lot of comedy in it. So when I was spinning, I faced I faced the lorry that was coming towards me uh, at one point. And although in my memory I didn't see the driver, I've now implanted. And those of you will know we can implant memories. The memories aren't necessarily real. So I implanted the memory of the of the lorry driver looking at me and me as I'm going around going hi, <laughs> and him going ha ha. Hi, you know, and it being just this embarrassing moment, which is terrible. And then later on, when I, you know how things slow down and then speed up, you know the music now. I know the Brits will know this, the Benny Hill music. I've used the Benny Hill music. Da, 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 da. So I put silly music to it and it takes the pain away. Now, I know that's also, I know those of you who've done NLP, that's often a, a technique that's using NLP. So reframing it is the same thing. So choosing not to implant the memory. Choosing not to go over the painful memory, those are really, really important, but you can change the memory. You can create the connections in the brain until eventually when anybody mentions that crash to me or that terrible, devastating thing that happened, I actually get a smile on my face, which is kind of weird, really. Got to be a bit careful. <laughs>
And what about when you wake up in the mornings, Heather? We all have these um, little th negatives, don't we, at different mm. times. And everybody on here will have them. They probably don't admit them to other people. Um, how do you deal with that when you haven't got a coach and you haven't got someone working with you? Because that's really important, isn't it? We're talking about mental management all the time now. Absolutely. I, I, I to, yeah, I call that mood management. And part of that is getting into a routine. Everybody needs routines. Routines are very, very important. We have health routine. We have routines all the time, interestingly, for cleaning our teeth and getting up and washing and, and paying the bills. But so many people don't have a mental health routine. And when you wake up in the morning, you need to, just like an athlete needs to prepare themselves for their event, we have to prepare ourselves for the day. Whatever mentally uh, mood we need to be in we need to be prepared for that so I have I use music a playlist so when I'm in the shower I'm <clears throat> embarrassingly singing along to I don't know things from the greatest showman to but I have a my playlist takes me through and I'm sure many of you will do this my playlist takes me through a couple of things it takes me there's a song there that's quite deliberately worked works on gratitude there's a song there that deliberately works on upbeatness and gets my juices flowing because you can't help but the dance to it but it also reminds me some of my playlists remind me of my values so one of mine uh, my on my playlist is one by Stormzy called Bridge Over Troubled Water which was used in the Grenfell disaster and it's there because I believe that those of us who do and I know many of you guys do this um, we work with other people and I see a lot of our work as being like a bridge over troubled waters and it reminds me that that's my job so I have a full playlist that reminds me each one reminds me of who I am who I want to be who I aspire to be and to get rid of some of the the voices that might because we don't know what we dreamed of I don't know about you I I can wake up and I can have had a dream that just made me feel a bit yuck and I, I can't always remember what the dream is and we can't always control it although many of us will do some stuff before we go to sleep even so yeah I don't know about you I still can have a dream that makes me feel a bit pants so we need to get that get rid of that as well so that morning routine is the most powerful thing we can do i think at the beginning of the day it's very interesting what you say there because i know some people on here have family who um can't handle it quite as well as we can or hopefully we can um and so they they suffer from that and um what advice would you give people here that might want to coach someone in their family <laughs> so it's quite a challenge isn't it you know they say a, 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 is it a prophet in their own home in their own town yeah can't be it, a prophet in your own town yeah I was it can't be it's a real challenge and it is frustrating isn't it when you've been trying to tell your children to do something and and they don't do it and then years later they've met somebody who's magically told them everything that you've been telling them for years you go I've been telling you that my husband actually says that about me and him he says I say my friend told me this I've been telling you that so we probably all do it a little bit yeah. But for me, with family, it's about drip feeding. So stuff that my children didn't seem to be taking on board, I see now they're gradually doing it. Yeah. So my son, who went into the Marines, actually listens. He plays these things really loud when he's in the shower. He plays YouTube videos. And they're usually, they're usually somebody going, you can handle the pain if you they're really shouty kind of they're not the sort of thing i would listen to but i i don't ever remember telling him to do that but i think they pick these things up by osmosis don't they so for me if it's family i would say just keep plugging away if they don't seem to be listening just be very gentle role model it 
and talk about other people who do stuff. <laughs> Don't say, I think you should do this. Talk about other people who do stuff. And of course, the people they admire are the people that they're really going to want to emulate. So those, if that's any help, that's the sort of thing I would suggest. I think that's great advice. In fact, uh, Richard Bandler talked about my friend John, didn't he? Third party it. And my friend mm. John was always him, I guess. But we never knew it was him, I guess. And uh, I wish somebody had told me about that. You can't be a prophet in your own town earlier in my life as well, because you do sometimes bang on, or I did, I bang on about something and actually well, it wasn't working. It was counterproductive. But your kids, kids pick things up and not only do they pick things up, they also then throw it back in your face sometimes, don't they? They go, well, what about you? I remember one saying to my son, he was about 11 years old and I wanted him to learn to swim a mile. We were going to go surfing that year and I wanted his swimming to be stronger. He was a good swimmer but I wanted to be stronger. So typical sort of like Sergeant Major me, we went to the pool and he had to do 64 then. So, no, 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 no. so I got him there and he did about 16 and then he got bored and he came out. He said, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to play. I said, get back in there, you know, get back in there and do some more. You promised me 64 lengths or we're not going surfing. So you can see positive motivation. <clears throat> uh, yeah. And he did a few more and then he got out and I turned around. I said, Luke, you're making me really angry. And he looked up wide eyed and said, no, mum. Only you can make you angry. <laughs> yeah, that's the real one, isn't it? That's yeah, and, and swimming with bricks tied around your ankles is really difficult, you found, shortly yeah. after that. <laughs> but they just throw it back at you, don't they? Fantastic. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We're nearly coming to the end of the uh, programme, actually, Heather, but um, I got a few questions on my list that I was going to ask you. I'm going to save that up for uh, September when I'm going to ask you to come back on, uh, come back on the programme. So I'm going to... Uh, use my close sales closing techniques on you and say will you come back and join us again well it looks like i've been talked into it already so if, if other people would like me to i would love to thank Brilliant. you okay a couple of questions before we close and you're going to stay on and answer a few of the more white knuckle questions that we don't want to put on youtube um <laughs> and that you offer your services to companies helping staff to embrace change yes I'm sure you do absolutely i do in fact i spend a lot of time with organizations helping their staff to understand change and to, to, to actually enjoy it and to embrace it. Um, it's really funny, isn't it, how people don't like change, but you rarely get anybody who says they don't like change. They all go, no, 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 I'm fine with change. Oh, I'm fine. And then they don't do it. So once we teach them that they can change and how to do it, it's not really talking about change. It's talking about changing their habits and embracing certain habits. And that works well. So, yes, I do. And Eva from Albuquerque says... Um, she does the dishes herself because it takes too long to try and persuade her kids to do the dishes. What, what, what would you say to Eva? Uh, well, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because there are some things you just realise that it's just quicker to do it yourself. So I'm kind of with Eva, to be honest. Uh, you know, otherwise you will end up with this big pile of dirty dishes. It's a bit like it's either washing the dishes or the other one is trying to persuade your children to put the dishes in the dishwasher instead of on top of the dishwasher, which is... You know, it's a piece of geography, really. It's just trying to get them to understand the geography. But sometimes it's just like, well, the kids are quite happy leaving them on there and they'd actually probably eat off plates that had furry stuff attached to them. It's my issue that I don't want them to. So, yeah, sometimes you just get on with it yourself. I'm not going to solve everything. <laughs> and Will Kintish would like um, your own version of Des uh, Desert Island Discs, really, please. So, and, and, and one of the songs I would include on there, and forgive me for those uh, non-Brits, but Victoria Woods, Just Do It. 
And if you yeah, get onto YouTube, if you, if you don't know it, get onto Victoria's Just Do It. I actually went onto a program where they did a sort of a radio, local radio where they asked me to do a sort of a Dead Island Discs. And that was my first one. Uh, so, so send me your, send me one of your playlists because I, I certainly want it. And I think a few other people do. And I'll put it in my briefing next week. And that's the first thing we'll discuss when you come back. Uh, Heather, how does anyone get in touch with you if they've got some questions for you or they want to uh, use your services? Well, uh, they can email me on heather.wright at advance-performance.co.uk. So that's advance-performance.co.uk. Or my YouTube channel is Heather Wright Live and Kicking. Live and Kicking, just like your namesake, Ian Wright, who scored more goals for Arsenal than anybody else. Ian Wright, right, right. <laughs> yeah, Heather. Right, right, right. Heather Wright, thanks for joining me. We look forward to the next session. If you're watching this on YouTube or the podcast Thank channel, you. please like it. And the usual round of applause for uh, Heather, please, uh, in the usual uh, Monday night chat show way. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Heather. Thank you. Thank you.